Sorry to disappoint everybody who was looking forward to when you or what you leave behind, which is the DS9 finale, but we're going to go backwards in time first because sometimes you have to go back to go forwards, two steps forward, one step back, something like that. We're going to be talking about Emissary today, revisiting it. Clay, welcome back to two years and four months ago when we recorded the Emissary pilot for the first time. Yeah, I feel so much younger and my hair is, well, more or less the same. (laughs) <laughs> Unlike I'm, I'm, Kira's, who changes, I think at least twice in this episode. I'm uh, I'm I'm starting to lose my hair a little bit in the front. It's very, it's more upsetting than I thought it would be. I'll uh, tell you, man. You want to talk about dodging a bullet? And I'm probably, uh, you know, jinxing myself when I say this. Every single cousin of mine on my mom's side of the family was bald before they were thirty, mm. and I am not. <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to start noticing hairs all over the microphone now as you're talking. It's just like it has yeah. begun. I, I actually had a scare like when I was in my mid-20s, and I, every time I took a shower, I felt like I was covered in hair. <laughs> like that was just falling out at an alarming pace. <laughs> Turns out that the water pressure in our sink, our the shower was not that high, so instead of like coming off, it just sort of like fell on me. Sure, it got stuck to you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm feeling good now, though. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I would really care and I don't think I really do the the problem with um the problem with losing your hair is that when you look in the mirror every time you look in the mirror you're reminded of it you know what I mean mm. it's like you can't you can't just you can't just like avoid it or anything like that it's just right there when you're when you're losing your hair and then you start to get that's, like overly thoughtful about it or something that's why when you get serious you just got to shave it off and grow that goatee. I know and just get my futuristic vibe going. No, but I'm I'm well out of my 20s so I don't it's not hitting me in an impactful part of my life. I can I can lose all my hair at this point and everything is fine. <laughs> I think it all stays the same. <laughs> Amy might have some other opinion. But let's get to um emissary. So I'm going to take a break and play some music and then we'll be right back with it. Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints, just people. So as I said, Clay, it's been two years and four months since since, uh, we watched Emissary with Zach Handlin. And Emissary, for people unfamiliar, is the pilot episode of Deep Space Nine. Came out on January 3rd, 1993. Teleplay is Michael Piller. Story credit goes to Michael Piller and Rick Berman, who are cred- uh, credited as the show's creators at that point. Directed by David Carson, who directed Generations as well, I think. Uh, the Star Trek mm. Generations, the movie. Three years after the wife, his wife died at the hands of the Borg and following the Cardassian withdrawal from the planet Bajor, Commander Benjamin Sisko and his new crew of Starfleet and Bajoran officers take command of an abandoned Cardassian space station and make an incredible discovery that will change the galaxy and Sisko's future. So what'd you think, like? How was this? I am um I'm glad we did this, I guess is mm. the way that I'm gonna say it. I'll throw it to you at that point. But if you if you maybe you want to predict why you think that I'm glad that we did this or something, or if you are glad for any reason, what would it be? Um I uh I I don't know. Um I, I don't know which one of those to answer. And I don't really know how to answer them. I, I enjoyed going back and looking at it again though. Um <clears throat> It's really interesting to see what characterizations changed and which ones didn't uh, and how they changed. Uh, I was surprised that O'Brien was so forward on this show. I feel like Colmini might have gotten a raw deal in this show where it's like, no, you're going to be one of the main guys. You're going to be in all the scenes. And then very quickly, he's like back to 
TNG level uh, uh, usage. I mean, I think they did that just because he's the TNG link, right? right. Like they they right. put him yeah. so prominently in this episode. Narratively, it makes sense because he's the person who got there first and is familiar with the station. So as he's giving Cisco the tour, it makes sense that he's the person giving it. But it's also a friendly face that you would recognize if you were right. coming over from TNG. Yeah, one that's that's gonna stick around longer than Picard. It was, man, I'll go, I'll tell you. It's great to see Picard again. I mm-hmm. haven't seen Picard in a long time. Uh, he is so good with so little. That scene with him and and Cisco, the first one, fantastic. Both sides of the coin. Uh, both of them, I thought, was really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And even the the scene where he says goodbye to uh, to O'Brien was nice as well. He yeah. Just, <laughs> the guy the guy commands the screen with very little effort. He does. He um he does command the screen. It'll a screen. It'll be nice to see the new Picard series. But he's. It's it's an interesting episode to go back to because it does both link DS9 and TNG in some way. Like you feel the point in time when this was taking place by including Picard and then everything like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, you do get a um in our original recording I talked about how it was nice to uh, I really like the scene of of O'Brien being sent off. And I think that yeah. it, it actually hits me less now because I've spent more time with DS9 O'Brien than TNG O'Brien where I think if you're coming from TNG it feels O'Brien felt more important in TNG for some reason than he, I don't know how to say this, like he, losing him in TNG to me felt like a bigger uh, impact than it was after the seven seasons of DS9 seeing that scene again, which is kind of a strange backwards way to look at it, but that's how I felt. When I knew him, when I knew him less well, I felt like that scene meant more than it does now, but I I still think it's pretty good. Yeah, that's interesting. Um I don't know if it really. I actually think I found it more effective this time. Yeah. Uh, for kind of the opposite reasons, where I, you know, he was a TNG thing, but I, I don't know. I never really thought of him as one of the core members of the team. Yeah. You know, as a real person. Um, yeah. Yeah, but after spending so much time with him on Deep Space Nine, seeing that scene was was uh, was nice. Yeah. I am. Um... I really liked this pilot. On I think this is one of the strongest Star Trek pilots, actually. Yeah. Um. I I liked it. A, I liked it more this time than I did the first time. Did you? Yeah. Because yeah. you did not like the profit stuff at all the first time. I I still don't. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's a good like. I I guess it, instead of just rehashing the episode because we've already done that, I guess it's a good thing to like stick to what you thought had changed. I was struck by how the politics and the Pro- the politics of Bajor and the prophets seems like it's much more of an idea, an emissary, than anything. Like they, mm-hmm. they talk frequently about how there's uh, Bajor is on the the course towards civil war. There's a lot of various factions that are fighting each other, and like the religion is the only thing holding them together. And it feels what, what's interesting about the pilot is that it feels like you're stepping into this really tumultuous situation. That even in the next episode, they kind of soothe down into a Star Trek universe again like it's Mm. they they don't stick with this you're walking into a war zone and anything can go wrong and everything is on the brink of chaos that emissary seems to imply because by the next episode they've cleaned up the station you know like they they meet all the vedics and everything everything seems okay there are various sects of bajorans fighting each other but it's not crazy but i i think it just ties into how interestingly angry emissary is as a pilot like a lot of people are just angry in this episode yeah and they kind of got rid of that a little bit and you know some of it's natural over seven years and some of it's just the nature of you can't have angry tv like this when 26 <laughs> episodes of anger so they got rid I don't of know. it, but it apparently was they've neat. never watched deadwood deadwood is all angry well that's 26 episodes total basically right through that's the entire true. yeah good point entire series 
Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think what's nice about it is it is very angry. Um, Cisco is very angry, clearly. Uh, Kira is very angry. But by the end of the episode, Cisco is less angry mm-hmm. because he's been given an avenue to kind of uh, deal with that anger. Um, however, Kira remains angry, and angry <laughs> Kira is the best Kira. Like I, I was, I was like, I, I, I was like clapping in this episode because I miss this Kira, the Kira who's very assertive and and is is very uh abrasive i guess abrasive and confident not that she's not confident now but she's i feel like she's been dialed down so much in the past couple seasons we've been watching that it was nice to see her in her prime form yeah um, yeah and uh but but for cisco you know the i don't i don't like the profit stuff because i think because of the way it starts because they get into it, and the priestess, or I don't know, is that a vet? It's not a vet. Kai, 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 Kai Opaka. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kai Opaka. She, uh, she's like, this is a orb of the prophets. There are eight of them. You must find the other seven before the card. And I'm like, fucking, Star Trek is not a MacGuffin show. You know, it's not, well, I guess it is now, but it's not a... There are there are seven seven red anomalies happening throughout the entire universe, and we have to find what they are. Like yeah. that's not that's not generally what this sh- this type of show is. They, g- they gave up general. on the orb idea immediately, though. Like, we, yeah, we, we've that's never what talked I completely about forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I completely forgot about it because and, and when she said that, I was like, man, yeah, that's like such a pilot episode thing to do, where it's like, okay, you're establishing what your mission for your guy is going to be or whatever. But the weird thing is, they established this mission of having to you need to go and find x y and z but the show takes place on a stationary place yeah yeah, yeah. he doesn't go anywhere yeah. that's not part of that's not what the show's about so is it I, it's like a it's a flawed conceit from the start but it feels like it's a it's a very piloty thing where it's like oh this is the hook even though the hook is not based in anything you really relate to the stuff i did like about the prophet stuff is when he gets to when he when they use the prophets to help him work through his emotional uh, um, baggage. Yeah, when they become the and, therapist. Th- that's the yes. best use of the prophets that's ever happened in this series. And you understand why. I think it works because you can understand why a group of people would revere these guys as spiritual leaders yeah, because of yeah. what they can do for you in that situation. Like, this is the closest they ever came to religious healing that we've seen across the entire series. Yeah. And I kind of. Um, I I don't know. I guess they don't they're they're not super intrusive throughout the rest of the series, but uh this is definitely my favorite use of them. I just wish it was a little shorter cuz it takes up a lot of the episode. It does. And uh um but yeah, I I thought that stuff was good. I I like the I like the I really enjoyed this time the discussion of time and linear time and what the future means and what the past means. Yep. Ultimately, leading up to the punchline of the prophet saying, "Well, that's cool, but you don't seem to be doing any of that." Yeah, and yeah. that being the point where he kind of has to break through with his own emotional uh, stuntedness. Yeah, since word. since we watched it, I still I still think that the allegory where the prophets confuse memory with time is kind of beautiful in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, mm-hmm. "Well, how come you?" 
they consider Cisco to be living in a circular time. And he says, no, time is linear. And they say, well, how come you can't escape these memories then? And that's when he has his sort of breakdown about like, I can't leave this time because every time I close my eyes, I see this happening again. Mm. And that's really good and really strong. And it's really like an interesting little metaphor that works perfectly in sci-fi. I really like that idea. It probably does go on a little bit too long, but at the same time, the only thing you could cut back to is them on the station getting ready for the Cardassians to attack. Slowly, slowly, slowly moving the, sh- the <laughs> station. <laughs> Flying the ship over to the, the wormhole. Do they, do they do that? Do they do that in the finale? Because I would like it if they kept up the tradition of introducing one ridiculous thing in the pilot episode that they do exactly one other time. Yeah. No, I do. <laughs> I think, I think the, the station stays out out there without without the uh, the rumble thing of what they were doing. Yeah, I was um take twenty minutes to to, to let the saucer section detach. It's, and then it's never do it again. It's interesting how they uh they treat the station more like a spaceship in this episode. Yeah, they do. It's yeah. al- it's almost like they were a holdover from being on the Enterprise, and they're like, well, the thing has to move. Like you have to have you have to right. have a rumble and everything like that. And as it's moved on, it's just become a set that might as well just be on a planet. Like nothing really exciting ever mm-hmm. happens to the station. It, it's kind of funny uh, how much the shape of something, and I guess the size, but you m- mostly the shape uh, dictates what it does in a show like this like for for instance did you know that the death star can travel at warp speed uh like light you mean like light speed in star wars or whatever they're calling yeah it? yeah yeah i didn't did i you, wasn't aware now yeah isn't doesn't that feel weird doesn't the death star feel like it shouldn't really move at all it does but, it, yeah you're in space but it nothing does. matters yeah. yeah yeah everything in star wars has warp drive for some reason including the death star and so but given the size of it and the way it looks, you don't expect it to be something that moves. And so I, I feel like the same thing happens with Deep Space Nine, where it's like, well, this isn't this is isn't a ship. It's it's a literal station, in meaning that it it does not move. It is stationary. Yeah. Um. So for it to have like it's <laughs> it's like if 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 my house uh, all of a sudden like lurched up onto four wheels and moved down the street. Yep. It's very. It's kind of weird. Why do they? I mean, why did they design ships to look aerodynamic? Is the other kind of thing. Sure. No, that's that's what that's what I mean. Like yeah. in space, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yep. Like the yep. fact that spaceships have wings and shit doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> they, they, it's not necessary. No. Um, but it's it's just it's a it's a uh, um, a recognition that we have because. That's how what flying things look like. Yeah, planes so look like that. Therefore, just, yeah. space planes have to look like that as well. Yep. And also, and so many. I mean, at least traditionally, I, probably not at this point in human history in Star Trek, but traditionally, so many of them are built on Earth, so they need to be aerodynamic to escape Earth. Yep. Um, that's why they look like that. But yeah, if you're building something in space, like a space station, you it doesn't matter what it looks like. You ever see the the Mir space station? It looks like it looks like a bad uh, Lego thing made yes. by a kid <laughs> with some wings and antennas sticking off of it. No, no, one hundred percent. It's um, they gave up on moving the station pretty quickly after that. There was no real reason to move it after that because it's at the wormhole and that's where yeah, it's going I, to stay. I forgot about that too. Like uh, the first shot of the, the station, it was so close to Bajor, and I was like, huh. It's weird that they never show Bajor in the same shot as Deep Space Nine after this episode, and I forgot it's because they move it away closer yep. to the wormhole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I liked going back to this because 
I, I think over the course of the like two and a half years that we've been podcasting about the show and the seven ep- seven seasons of the show that we've been watching, um, it's nice. I, I felt it kind of like recalibrated me for the series mm-hmm. in a way. Like it's sort of, I, I think the DS nine is this is more important to do for DS nine than maybe TNG, even though the TNG plot of uh, Farpoint ties into the season finale. DS9 has changed so much, but we've seen so many episodes that you kind of lose your perspective on how much has changed over the course of time. Like the, I, I think seeing this one really kind of hones in and makes you appreciate more the Cisco stuff that's happening in the final chapter, right? Where Mm. even though it's not particularly exciting, it is kind of important for Cisco to get to that point in his life again, because that's the way it was all set up. He's basically like, he hit his low point in Emissary and he slowly built himself up into something else by the time that the series is wrapping and he met Cassidy and they're about to have a baby and everything like that. It's, mm-hmm. I, I, I think just over the course of so many episodes, you lose the perspective that that's where he started from. And it's nice to be refreshed and see how far all of the characters have come over the course of the seven seasons. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes how much weight they've put on. Because man, Odo is skinny. You do, he does. I don't. <laughs> He doesn't look I don't well know in, if, in this one. Yeah, the makeup, I yeah. don't know if it's just him or if it's because the makeup has changed so much, but he, he looks very gaunt in this one. Yep. And in the last season, he looks like, you know, late stages Jerry Lewis. No, they definitely added more latex to his face uh, yeah. because he, he doesn't have that look. He, he looks ill in these. He's very, like, pale and sort of um, gaunt looking, as you're saying. But, yeah, he, he he's... He, and his starting out in this pilot episode is actually not that impressive of a start for him. He's probably like one of the weaker introductions, really. They, they were more enamored yeah. with his shape-shifting abilities than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't really do anything. No. Hangs around on that, that ship when they go to the wormhole for no particular reason. But yeah, I mm-hmm. think that's... I think I, I liked... I just liked going back to it because it did show you how much has changed i suppose it's it's really just it, it's nice to get a refresher and be like oh we actually have changed quite a bit over the course of the seven years and now now i feel like i'm ready to go into the finale sort of refreshed in terms of where the uh thing started i guess so it's it's kind of hard to describe but it sort of recalibrated me as a when i was watching it it just felt strongly nostalgic even though mm. I didn't really grow up with that series, and we only just covered it a couple of years ago. In all things considered, but it felt it felt like we were going back to something very familiar and very comforting in on in some way. It, it was kind of unique. It surprised me that I felt that way. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's because it's been the focus of what we've been doing twice a week for two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, because yeah, I never had any nostalgic attachment to Deep Space Nine, but watching this, you know, I, I felt that as well to an extent like uh the first appearance of gul dukat i was like oh man yeah forgot about gul dukat he's the best you know like i it felt it felt like a big moment seeing gul dukat come onto the station for the first time and and uh and then he's weirdly replaced by that other cardassian interestingly yeah 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 that's i don't know why he disappears halfway through but well he 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 goes into the he goes into the wormhole and you never see him yeah 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 um but yeah the the biggest I think the most interesting thing to me was uh, Quark being played completely straight. 
Uh, and much more like a mob boss in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Much, much more interesting. I think a much more interesting dynamic that they set up. Yep, with Rom's Um, nose. Yes, with Rom's nose. Yep. Yeah. He doesn't quite look as much like David Duchovny as Rom. <laughs> no, I completely agree. He's much more he's much more sinister in the pilot yeah. than he becomes. And uh, the other one is, uh, man, they really they really did a character rehabilitation on Bashir, huh? He he fumbles his way into this episode like the wide eyed schoolboy who's afraid to talk to women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And by the end of the series, he's like banged everybody on the station. Has, has he changed the most out of all the characters? You th- I, I, I think so. I, I I think because mainly... I don't think it's re- rehabilitation, though. I think you could argue, like... Right. Maybe it is a retcon, but his arc makes total sense to me, I think. He grew up over the course of the series more sure. than anybody else. I agree with that. I also think it's that he, he probably was the... He wasn't particularly well drawn at the time. Right. He's... I think he's exactly what I said he is. I think he's supposed to be the wide-eyed, right out of Starfleet, whatever. Uh, Looking to make a name for himself on the final frontier. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, which I think is a good place to start. And they, they definitely made, grew him as the show went on. Yeah. Dax is, Jadzia Dax is funny, too, because they play her as much more of a science head in this pilot episode than she became yeah. later on. Like she, she kind of gives up on the sciencey aspect of her job and, and this, she's extremely professional with what she's trying to do. And she became kind of a party girl, like a happy go lucky. Yes. Uh, yeah. Consigliere to Cisco and stuff. But they, they, it's, it's funny because the show really feels like it started out much more as a Star Trek show and they kind of splintered away from like they don't really have a science officer in the later series. Like there's right, no one who comes right. in and says like, here's the problem with the science. Like this is why it's happening. They, they moved away from those kind of characterizations in a, a less Star Trek way that made the show very unique, but it's, it's weird to go back and see them tackling a problem in a very straight ahead Star Trek way. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a symptom of what we said. The problem with the first season was in general, which is I, I think they're trying to do their thing in the still inside the confines of what a traditional capital S capital T Star Trek show looks like. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So you've got characters who are, uh, who are a bit more, um, y- your Starfleet characters anyway, are a bit more or straight laced and by the numbers than they, than they eventually become. Um, I think, I think in this, I think in this first episode, the standout for me is still Kira. I think Kira is probably, the most unique character in a Star Trek show up to this point. No, oh, interesting. Because I, I would agree. And what's what's neat about Kira, I think, is that Kira was the only character over the first season to have an arc where a lot of episodes mm. focused on her, I think, importantly, because the Bajorans were so important at that point. But she the the seri- the season finale of the first season is her coming to terms with the new setup that's going on and realizing that she has to kind of mellow out and she can't be yelling at people all the time she's no longer a freedom fighter she's an administrator right. at that point mm-hmm. and so toning her down makes sense and i think that i think uh nana visitor became a million times better as a performer as the, as the series went on too which kind of helped but it, it mellowed her out at the same time and yeah i i would agree i I particularly like Cisco in this too, and I guess yeah. the pairing of those two, I could see a series where they are much more antagonistic towards each other for much longer than they actually become, because things settle out pretty quickly between the two of them. Yeah, you know, I think that's fine though, because I, I I think that I think Cisco's approach is not one of uh uh 
I have to I have to tame tame this person or or something like that. It's it's very much like he is now the warden of this thing and and he has to deal with all of the um different personalities coming at him. So it makes sense that he's not directly antagonistic towards her because I think he understands the situation that she and he are both in. Right. Uh whereas she is a lot more um fiery about it and is and is coming off of I, I think it's I think it's the difference between someone coming off sixty years of, of oppression versus someone who is who is walking into the situation just trying to make the best of it. Yeah, yeah. And they I mean they they even further divide them by Odo, Kira, and Quark aren't Starfleet, which at the time was kind of strange and unique right. to have a show about Star Trek without all the characters being Star Trek officers. Yeah. And I, I, I uh um you know, watching this again <laughs> I'm a little bit upset that they didn't stick with the Quark has a thing for Kira line. I kind of <laughs> like that more than the Odo stuff because that, that's you know that's that's right. a little bit more a little bit more fun than yeah. Odo just weeping in a corner for. <laughs> it's true. It's um, and I I think what's kind he, of sorry uh, I, I was going to say Odo Odo had is definitely the the has the the worst first episode because like he does he doesn't like you said his introduction isn't great they just kind of focus on his shapeshifter thing and then like as everybody's leaving to go somewhere i can't remember exactly what the action is uh he's uh, he's like wait i want to come too and kira's like why do you need to come you don't need to come and he just like launches into a long form exposition about his character yeah i, I like, came from there i was found there yeah yes i know when i don't know where i'm from and i don't know if there are more of me years ago i was left it's like okay get on the fucking ship let's go <laughs> that's the um that's the clunkiest part of it, I think, is that it's probably mm. hard to avoid, but there's a lot of characters stepping into the, uh, the scene and explaining what their backstory is. Bashir does the same thing when he comes on. He 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 literally just says out loud what his characterization is at that <laughs> <Yes>. point. Yeah. <laughs> o- Odo, Odo does the same, uh, even more clunkily, probably. The the other thing that, um going back on this, that I thought was really interesting is that the pilots for these are funny. Because you see so many camera angles that they never use again. Mm. Because they just get into their usual, well, this shot always works, so let's do this shot again real quick kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But in this one, like you're you're seeing shots of the station that I don't think you see very often. The way that they shoot in Cisco's ready room. The, the way that they shoot ops is completely different than the way that they settle into. I feel like they hardly yeah. ever shoot an ops at, uh, later in the season. But here you've got weird angles of O'Brien sitting up and like Kira's down below that you hardly ever see later on in the series. Mm-hmm. But it was really unique to see the station through a different camera angle a lot of the time. And they never, I feel like all the shots were totally different and they never really stuck with any of these long term. And I, I, do they even show the elevator? I can't remember if they do. The one in ops. Yeah, uh, I don't remember anybody riding it. So that might have been a that might have been an introduction thing that they added later on. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I also like when uh, 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 I think it's O'Brien is is showing um, Cisco around, and he's like, "That's that's Gul Dukat's old office." And Cisco's like, "Ah, lording over everyone I see, just like Cardassians always do," and it's like. Did Cardassians invent stairs? <laughs> like it's just it's just up slightly. It's not like he's in a in a high castle or something. It's like a talk show host uh, desk where they're always a little bit elevated, so the guest has to be uncomfortable yeah, looking at like them. Like that, like that great scene in The Great Dictator where uh, Hitler is trying to get Mussolini 
get do the power play over Mussolini by making him sit in the tiny chair. Yeah. But they just keep going back and forth and <laughs> Hitler keeps ending up in the tiny chair. Great movie. Yeah, it's um I don't I I I th- I think really my main takeaway you you didn't like the profit stuff as much. I th- I thought that the profit stuff was actually pretty uh relatively enjoyable. I guess my biggest takeaway is that I I think that this for for as much as changed, I think it's kind of surprising how much of the pilot actually sticks through to the end of the series. Yeah, yeah, you'd agree with that. Like it's it's where where we're at at the end of the series now. Going back here, it doesn't. You know, they they drop things like they're no longer hunting for the seven orbs. Like that never really happened. But in general, the flow of it is kind of lining up with what emissary laid out for everybody. Yeah. Um it it is uh it, it is kind of surprising to see how much of that stuff did stick around um i think you know i they haven't really they don't in the pilot super get into the uh, the cardassian stuff and the relationship with the 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 Card, uh the bajorans i mean they do but they uh, my, the point i'm i'm trying to make is that the, they lay it out so strongly in albeit in a kind of short period of time that it's enough to really kind of chew on for a long time mm. So I think I think a lot of that stuff is just strong enough in its in its concept that it can um, the the better parts of it can can last through the C series. Yeah, I, I think they did a good job setting up the central conceit of what this series yeah. was going to be. Um, Although it it kind of changes there too, because I mean it's very much a western. Uh, I, I think I think at the time in the in the original podcast I I, I said that I didn't really get the western feel. But this time I I did a lot more, mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of goes away because it doesn't. It kind of moves away from up oh, deep space nine is the hub of activity out here in the frontier, and it's always you never know what kind of crazy characters are going to mosey on through yeah. the airlock. Yeah. You know, well, they kind of move away from that thing. And the, the worst part um, of the first season was that it was an alien of the week show where people were coming to the station all the right. time, which is terrible. Yes. But it is kind of a western thing. But I guess you could thematically say that as the show developed the station obviously became more and more important and wasn't just this outlook thing like or an outpost on the final frontier like it became a central hub of activity for all the stuff that was going on in the alpha quadrant so it, it kind of settled sure. it down that way but i do even if it, i i guess my criticism would be they didn't embrace the western aspect really long enough i feel like it's settled fairly quickly but yeah. it's it's pretty interesting to see all the hostility between the characters early on, the sort of like, you get a sense that like violence is imminent in a way that very quickly goes away on that. Like DS9 is kind of mm. a dangerous place to be is the sense you get from the pilots. And they, they quickly stamp that out. Uh, I think even in the first season. Yeah. I mean, O'Brien is tells Jake not to leave the room. Yeah. Not to leave the room. <laughs> security concerns. Yeah. And they've got that sequence where uh nog and that other weird looking alien guy are stealing something. Yep. Yeah. Um yeah, it would have been kind of fun in retrospect if they had drawn that stuff out a bit longer. So instead of just, you know, switching right into bustling bustling frontier town where uh you know, you never know what guest star is going to step off the stagecoach. Uh they turned it was more like getting the the station up to speed and up to code so to speak. It was more of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, so it gives a little bit more uh edge to it moving forward and um and so like at the end of your first season or so 
when Deep Space Nine really comes together, the place really comes together. It's it feels like they've 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 worked towards it. Yeah, you can visually see progress of them cleaning stuff up and getting things. But organized. again, again, I think the thing that that stops them. Well, maybe one of the things that stopped them from doing that is that serialization was never part of the story. Yep. at that point. But I don't know. I guess the the thing I'm suggesting I don't think is necessarily serialized. You could still do episodic stories inside the the conceit of this is a a, a lawless place that they're trying to bring law to you yes know? yep it's every western ever is that yeah because i mean it's there but you can certainly you could see why odo and kira would chafe under starfleet's way of being you know i, I don't mm-hmm. think they really play up that the same way that voyager doesn't play up the maquis and the starfleet going at each other even though they're enemies who are stuck together and need to make the best of things here mm-hmm. The the Bajoran side and the Federation side kind of come together relatively quickly, but you could see why, you know, like Odo's, Odo's idea of justice is like chasing down a guy and slamming him into the wall at this point. You know, and, right, and Cisco right. is bring, trying to bring some kind of law and order to it, but you'd, I feel they could have played up that in the same way. That that goes hand in hand with the Western-y aspect of it, where how dare you come in and tell us what to do because we've been doing this for so long, uh, but Starfleet has their own sort of prerogatives of how they want things done. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about Odo and how he kind of he kind of softens going through the the series, and I know this is probably not intentional, but I wonder if you could rationalize the change in his look by saying that as his personality softens, he unconsciously softens his own features. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. I think that's good. I, I think the. When you do when you do changes like that, like Odo's look and stuff, it's always nice if you can, even if you're not actively trying to retcon something like that. If you can, you can make a little bit of sense out of it. Like the makeup improving is just everybody, uh, every character getting more comfortable with their lives leads to a yeah. better look. Yeah. The the on, the makeup really stood out to me actually because it looks so stiff. Like it looks good. Odo's or like everybody's. Quark, everybody's Quark. Quark looks good. Kira's looks good. Um, Odo looks like a corpse sort of. <laughs> But it looks fine. <laughs> yeah. But they all they all look really stiff. Like the the appliance, whatever it is that Armin Shermerman is wearing, looks a lot stiffer than yeah. it does later in the series. And Kira's uh, nose bumps look a lot more brittle and stiff. I don't know. They must have changed the material they were making it out of or something. But it yeah. looks it, it, they they figure that stuff out as they go as well. Yeah. And uh, I guess I guess that's pretty much it to talk about. We won't do final thoughts or anything because uh, people already left their thoughts on the, the pilot episode, and this hasn't been much of a review of the episode, but I did want to just touch base about how it felt to go back and watch Emissary again after all these years. Um, yeah, I I like this. I think that... I just I'm kind of imp- I, I'm impressed with Emissary as a pilot I think and how well they told an opening story especially when you compare it to something like Farpoint which is really not a very good episode but this one it feels you know it feels so personal being about Cisco it sets up everything that the station is going to go through it draws a lot of um, background about the Cardassians it opens up the wormhole the prophets are introduced in a fairly effective way. I'm I'm fairly impressed by how well this functions as a pilot, even though a lot of what they do drops off quickly after they introduce it here. The general themes are all still here, and mm. moving into the finale, it's been a an interesting journey to see the characters come together in uh, such like an antagonistic way into where they've ended up now uh, towards the finale in a way that 
TNG was just the ship picking up everybody and everybody was friends right from the get-go and everything was very kosher and they're all good work buddies and everything like that. But DS9, DS9's assembly feels really different from that. And it feels more like it's a complete narrative journey in a lot of ways than TNG. TNG just feels like it picks up right in the middle and then it ends and everything is the same as it ends. Like it's just the, the adventures continue. But DS9 feels like much more of an arc that happened and that things changed and these these characters changed and everything seemed to matter in some way that it doesn't necessarily matter on TNG. Yeah, it's I I not that I don't appreciate TNG and its structure. I really do appreciate what they've done with this show as far as giving it in, in, like a real arc and storyline. Um you know, I, I maintain that I think you could go through all seven seasons of this show and strip out like, unfortunately, like forty percent of it. Yeah, probably more. Um, fifty percent, I think, yeah. is this fair? Yeah. If, if strip out fifty percent of it, and I think what you're left with is a fantastic uh, character study of this concept and the people involved. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens in the finale. I guess. Uh, if, it, if it sucks, if it sucks, I'm writing off the whole series. I'm the time warp right com- comes back, and we just go back to the emissary point. So, yeah. yeah, but it's you know, I, I it allows you to have a end up in a place that's so different from where they end up in TNG. Where TNG, I mean, if you think about what what if you think about what's going on between the the end of TNG and the end of Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine spent their last 10 episodes or nine episodes driving towards this endpoint where, theoretically, th- storylines are going to be wrapped up. Characters have arrived back at the beginning of their story circle, having changed. Uh, there's a real sense of finality coming up it, at the end of a fairly organic seven years worth of character development. TNG, as great as... Uh, all good things is, and I'm not going to take anything away from it. It's my favorite Star Trek episode. They literally have to manufacture that same idea by jumping him into the future mm-hmm. and creating all of this character change for you to witness and play off of the old stuff. Yeah, and it's it 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 really kind of shows where the episodic style is is uh, hampered by its its format. Because in yeah. order to get that kind of emotional change and character and, and reflection on these characters, you kind of have to make it up. Uh, whereas this, whereas Deep Space Nine has been driving towards that more organically. Yeah, it's it's a bigger version of the TNG uh, romantic relationship problem, which is just you just have to introduce and say these people are in love now. It happened off screen. Just accept right. the fact that they're in love, and yeah, like all good things, they have one scene of Worf and Troy kissing, and it's like a central conceit to the next twenty years of Star Trek right. history. <laughs> <laughs> in this one episode, where it matters, yeah, yeah. No, it's def- definitely true. Uh, DS Nine is definitely different than that. I'll I'll have more to say about that. I think when we do the sort of a wrap up thing about it, because I wouldn't want like. What I think DS9 has for weaknesses are actually interesting when you compare them to TNG. Going like whether what like when DS9 at its weakest was a poor imitation of TNG, which kind of gives some kind of credence to the fact that what TNG was doing was also kind of special at the same time. So 
It'll be interesting. We'll talk about that more when the uh, the series actually wraps up. But we'll call it a day there with Emissary. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Thank you for leaving your... Uh, or thank you. We're, we're, uh, my mind's stuck in what normal episode is, but no one left their thoughts. <laughs> we're done with Emissary. It was good to revisit it. I'm glad we... I'm glad we took this break, even if it's just a couple of days before we get into the finale, I think, because I was feeling... I wasn't worn down by the series, but I think the final chapter is just on its face. The episodes themselves don't really, they aren't, they aren't good enough at, um, maybe evoking a feeling of how far you've come. Does that make sense? Like, I I feel they're just not strong enough for reminding you all the stuff that has changed and like how far people have come and no one's having grand statements about like, this is the thing that we have to do because of this. They're all fairly bland episodes that I think, betray a little bit of how far everything actually has changed and if there if those episodes weren't going to be strong enough i think it was nice to take a little break and go back to the beginning and refresh yourself yeah i it's also interesting because i think the first i think the pilot is is packed full of promise and ideas whereas the last run-up to the finale has seemed like it's kind of they're just really dragging it out yeah like they don't have enough to to get across the finish line um so it is it is the the watching the pilot does feel a lot more um <clears throat> promising. Like I, I got it, it you get a sense of like, man, okay, this is really like this is the start of the start of the journey kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas coming in these last few episodes it's kind of been like, Okay, well did, not quite what I was hoping for. Did but. you did you feel any kind of thing? Did you feel anything like I felt about Cisco's change over the course of it? Did it did it highlight anything for you for Cisco? Because I think he's the main character here in this episode and arguably the series as a whole. Um, you didn't feel any more um, any like you didn't feel that his storyline was any more profound or anything like that by watching this. Uh, I don't know. I think it's, if I feel, it feels about the same for me, I think. Yep. Uh, I, I never real like, I, I think they use the profit stuff well in this episode, but I never, I, I don't feel like they ever really figured out what to do with it after this mm-hmm. to make it super effective. Like every now and then they pop in and do something that's cool. Like at the end here, I think it works. It's been working pretty well as far as the, uh, uh, um, the his warning prop. about his future yeah, and all that kind of stuff. You can yeah, see the the, the, the the obvious retcon there, right? Is where the prophets don't recognize him in the in the pilot, even though they know who he is, and he he's he's destined to meet them again. You know what I sure. mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I think it works in some spaces, but you know, then you've got other instances where his mother is a prophet mm-hmm. and shit, and uh, the questionable deus ex machina that they they come out and pull every now and then so you know i i I think the profit thing i kind of almost wish that they didn't really dip back into it because that it almost feels like they finished their story with it with the the pilot yeah don't don't they like he's he's healed as a person at the end of this when i i i just wish that his i I guess it kind of makes sense it's it's strange because I understand that he needs to end this with a new lease on life and he's looking forward to it. And like the, the therapy session that he went through with the prophets also reflects itself that he's now okay with Picard too at that point. Like right. his his whole worldview has been shifted. He no longer sees Picard as the enemy, he shakes his hand and everything. However, I I, I feel it's more of a problem of once they moved past this pilot, he was just in that place again. And they never really hammered home the point of he's still, at that point early in the season, still should be somewhat affected by 
Jennifer's death and and things right. like that. Like, so I, I think it's tough because I really like the setup and I think the prophets would be able to help in that sense. I wish that the prophets had become, I think the, the problem is the prophets became a, like a thing. They're like a noun later in the series where they are the right. good gods and everything. But I like them much more as a symbolic representation of healing or something like that. Or yeah. a symbolic representation of change, I think, matches the series better than that. Yeah, I've never really been huge on them as like, yeah, the the, the good guys or like for for beings who are fairly uh, abstract, they get fairly literal as the show goes. Yeah, on. they get very along. involved, even though they can't yeah. tell you what's going on, and they are very abstract as a as a creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I like them a little bit more the way they play them here, a little bit more abstract and a little bit more heady. Yeah, because here it seems like he just stumbled into them, and they're just like, "What the hell are you?" And he explains yeah. that, and just by the process of explaining what he is, they teach him something about themselves, and then they seem to be they're, they they by the end of the episode they're like, yeah, you guys can come through the wormhole, whatever, you know, like they, they kind of seem like they go <laughs> off to their own business and they don't want to impact anyone else's lives after that. Yeah, it, I I almost I I wish I think that the way that they had played his relationship with the the prophets coming out of this is not that he was like a literal you know, uh, Moses figure for the Bajoran people or uh, let me, let me, how, how do I phrase this? Okay. Um, I wish he was less of a Moses figure recognized by the prophets and more of someone who was on personally revered them a little bit more because they helped him through that sure. thing. And so he has a little bit more – he has his reverence for them starts to come into play as far as his decision-making instead of him being like this chosen one figure. Right. However, I can still get on board with the Bajorans seeing him as some sort of special figure uh, because he talked to them and came back. The thing that I don't like – I just don't like him being this chosen one who uh, is – predetermined to be, the, to be this guy yeah, yeah. predetermined to be this guy who's like the arbitrator in this uh, you know uh cosmic religious war or so you know what i mean yeah yeah uh, and I, it, like it's it, th that's where the stuff with the finding the orbs comes in where it's like well if he's not that then you don't need to have him go on some weird quest and shit which he doesn't go on anyway right i i, <laughs> I hope that's what happens at the end of the finale is as the prophets show up and they're like hey you never got the orbs <laughs> Cisco's cleaning under his desk. He's like, "Oh shit, they were here all the whole time. They're just, just all seven of them." Just Ducat sitting here. was using them as a footrest. I really, I like that idea. I, I do. I would kind of agree that just the anointing of him as the chosen one, instead of him coming to terms with finding his own faith in the prophets, is kind of a, a problem because the. I, I think that that would have actually allowed the development of him having conflict between. Starfleet and the religion to mean more than just kind of keeping up appearances where Starfleet is becoming upset that he has to maintain this title with the Bajorans. Right, right. Yeah, it, it feels more personal that way if he's personally drawn to it. And, and I, not to say that he's not, because the, the thing that they did over the series is that they made it clear that Cisco is moving towards this point of view uh, mm -hmm. closer and closer. In the final season, he buys land on Bajor and says he wants to die right. there and everything like that. So I, I think it's just a... It's a minor point, but I think it is important to to not identify him that way 
directly himself or to be so okay with it uh, at the start. And the Bajorans doing it, as you say, would be fine, but not not Cisco. Yeah, because it it makes him it makes that it it makes that conflict in him feel a little bit more contrived. If it's because there are instances where he has to make a decision, and he's like, "Well, I am the emissary," and it's like, "Well, that's not interesting to me," you know, like. Right. You're, you're only saying you're saying that because they're saying it to you and because you've been like it's it's a lot more interesting to me if if he has to make this decision and he's like well i mean i understand what starfleet's doing but there's a part of me that also is on board with this religious stuff and you know it it making like you said making a more personal choice instead of him just sort of kowtowing to the prophecy i think is a much more interesting way to go Let's call it a day. That's a good discussion about Emissary. Good to revisit it. Very happy we did. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the content, you go to patreon.com slash file. Support the show there. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. Otherwise, all the social media is down below. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. If you want to join the conversation, Discord is the place to go. And we'll be back in a couple of days with the finale, What You Leave Behind. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before then? Uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> looking forward to leaving something behind. Going, yeah, go, I mean, uh, this, this to me, does this feel, uh, I guess it's more likely to talk about that when we get to the finale. I think it's just, it finishing these things is always kind of hard to wrangle, I guess, until it's done. Like watching all these episodes and doing all the podcasts for them is kind of hard to wrangle how far we've come, I guess, as a journey of ourselves, never mind what these characters have done. So maybe we'll have more to say about that when the finale's over, but... Thank you guys very much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of days with the finale. Until then, see ya.